All right, really excited today. Open up your Bibles. We're in the book of Philippians. We're going to be back in uh, chapter number one. We are going verse by verse through the book of Philippians for the next four weeks. We've started last week, and we have this week, and then we have another four weeks going forward. And last week, we really got into the beginning of this book, which really addresses the question of who we are. What are we becoming? That's the reason why we named this series Becoming, because the book of Philippians, written by Paul as he's in a jail, really is an encouragement to a church who was struggling with its identity, who was struggling with its purpose, who was wondering, uh, God, where are you? Because they were going through some very difficult seasons. They were in some real, real problems. And that question of who am I and what am I becoming often gets juggled, often gets attacked and challenged when we go through difficult seasons, right? When we go through seasons of difficulty, of struggle, of suffering, we question who we are. We begin to doubt who we are. We become cynical about our lives. We get bitter sometimes. We get angry. And that anger often doesn't stay within ourselves, right? We often put that on other people as well. And then we also ultimately point that anger up to God and we ask, does he even care? God, are you here with me? God, do you see me? Or am I alone in this? I mean, who am I, God? And who are you? And what are you doing? And last week I asked the question, wouldn't it be great to have an answer that you could give with full confidence to answer the questions of who am I? Who am I becoming? Where is God? And what is he doing? We find that answer here in the book of Philippians. And the answer is simple, and we covered this last week, is God is always working. Philippians 1.6, Paul writes this, and I love the words that he uses here because they're so definitive. There's no gray area. There's no question about it. He says, I am certain, right, fully confident, certain, that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Jesus Christ returns. I love that because Paul, he's offering this as an encouragement to the church in Philippi because they're struggling, but at the same time that he's speaking these words over the church that he loves, he's speaking these words over himself because he's sitting in this jail cell. And, and this is a form of prayer that we should pray. I mean, I, I challenge you guys to memorize this verse last week. And when you memorize this verse, it's a verse you should pray over yourself every day. You should wake up and you should pray and you should say, God, I am certain that you who began the good work in me will continue to work in me until the day it is done or to the day you return. It's a form of prayer that we need to declare over ourselves, that we need to proclaim over ourselves. Remember that back in the, in, in the prayer series, right? Uncommon prayers. You pray this prayer over yourself. And Paul here is declaring this over his life. And he's saying, look, I know I'm here in the prison, but God is still working and he's going to continue working. And it serves the basis of this series of becoming. Because God who began the good work in all of us here, those watching at home, he's going to continue it. He's always working. Remember, God doesn't punch out, right? We punch out. We go on vacation. We check out mentally. God doesn't. He's much higher than us. And today, Paul begins in, in verse um, number 12 here to talk about this idea of, of suffering. And that's kind of why I wore this Bears jersey today. Because it's, it's Super Bowl Sunday. 
But man, the Bears have us suffering, <laughs> right? I mean, if you're a Bears fan, you know what suffering is. Um, but Paul here is really going through some suffering. And people all around the world, they, they've tried to understand human nature. They've tried to make sense of man's suffering. And what people around the world generally have, have determined in the generalization of, of most cultures in the world is that if you're suffering, if you're going through a trial, if you're struggling, you're doing something wrong, right? I mean, that's what kind of most people assume. Well, if you're going up against challenges, something must be wrong in your life. It hinders your potential. It's a deterrent to your purpose. And if you're struggling, something must be wrong. And because the world thinks this way about struggle, how do we respond to that? I mean, most people, right, when you're struggling, and if it's, if it's a generational struggle or an issue that you kind of always fall into, man, guilt comes, shame comes over you, embarrassment, because you can't help but think, what are people going to say about me? I mean, I'm back here again. I can't get over this same issue. Some of that guilt, that shame, that embarrassment, it becomes so unbearable, right? I mean, you can't take it. You get very insecure. Wherever you go, you wonder, what are people thinking about me? What are people saying about me? Are they going to like me? Are they going to accept me? And this loss of self-worth happens, and you end up seeing yourself as someone who's not even worthy of life. When this issue of struggling comes, how do we cope with it? I found and I've discovered that people usually do one of three things. One, they escape it, right? People who completely, if you know people like this, whenever they're in a struggle, they deny it. Addicts, they learn this in 12-step programs, is that one of the first things is to deny that you even have a problem. Just refuse it. Withdraw. Completely disconnect from yourself. Do anything that you can to escape and avoid it at all costs, even if it costs you yourself. But one of the ways that people deal with struggling is they escape it. Other people try to suppress it. We try to minimize it, right? We try to numb it. What are ways that we numb our pain from struggle, from, from suffering? Well, we run to drugs. We run to alcohol. We run to people-pleasing. Some people run to work. Some people run to other addictive behaviors, right? Because that helps us suppress the reality that we have struggles and that we have issues in our life. And then other people, they don't escape it. They don't really suppress it, but they overcompensate in their life. And they say, well, if I could be the funny guy, if I could be the guy who makes people laugh all the time, then people will like me. Then people will accept me. Then maybe I'll forget that I'm struggling. Maybe I'll forget that I'm, I'm dealing with some things here, right? Or if I could be popular enough, even if it means crossing my convictions, even if it means compromising what I believe and what I know to be right, I'm going to compromise in that because I just want people to like me. I just want to be accepted. And that acceptance overcompensates for the struggle and, uh, and, and, and the suffering that we have in our life. But what if there was a different way of viewing struggle? What if there was a different way of viewing suffering? What if God, this is my question that I'm asking you today, what if God actually wants to work through your suffering? What if you, in the middle of your struggle, in the middle of your suffering, paused thought about, acknowledged God, that God is present in this struggle, and then laid out a way to allow Him to work in you 
And what if you sought Him in the middle of your struggle? I mean, what if we became a people shaped not by your circumstances, not by your struggles, not by your suffering, because we all have them. What if we became a people not shaped by that, but what if we became a people who became shaped by our faith in God even in the midst of our circumstances? What would God do through a church that handled suffering like that? You see, because the Bible is full of encouragement. The Bible is full of hope. And, and, and one verse that jumped out at me is in Isaiah 9-2 where the prophet, God is speaking to the prophet and he's telling the prophet, look, speak to my people who are suffering and let them know that this is what I say. And this is what Isaiah says in, in chapter 9, verse 2. He says, the people will walk in darkness. The people who walk in darkness will see a great light. For those who live in the land of deep darkness, a light will shine. So my question to you is, what if in the middle of this darkness, of your suffering, of your struggle, what if God is the light that's shining before you? What if God is making a way where there is no way? What if God is making a stream in the desert place? What if God is opening up a door of escape for you to walk through where you, in the middle of darkness, experience His glorious, beautiful, healing, marvelous light? And that's what Paul is writing to the church here. And that's what he's challenging them with. To say, God is the light that gives you hope. I've seen many people, they credit everything else but God, right? They make it through a season of struggle. They, they, they credit themselves. Well, I'm strong. I got this, right? They, they credit their abilities. Other people credit some wild things, right? You've heard people say, well... It's the positive energy, you know, the mojo or the juju or I don't know, whatever you call it. The good vibes, right? The universe. Hey, the universe just worked in my favor. Uh, There's a reason why people like thanking the universe. You know why? Because the universe isn't going to hold you accountable. The universe isn't going to ask tough questions of you. And people don't want accountability. That's hard. They want comfortability. That's easy. So people will think everyone else, but it's only God. Listen, the universe cannot redeem you because it was created by the Redeemer. Crystals, rocks, essential oils, they can't save you, but Christ, the solid rock, can save you. The good vibes, they're not going to bring purpose from your pain, but the good news of the Gospel will clearly show you that there is purpose in your pain. Listen, God never promises us that struggle and suffering will not happen. He never promises to eliminate it from your life. He never says that it will be easy for you to overcome it. But only Jesus Christ can offer to redeem and use your suffering and your struggle for good. Only Jesus offers that. Nothing else in the world offers that. So we can choose to escape, we could choose to avoid, we could choose to suppress and push down, and we could choose to live a life of comfortability and never handle our issues, or we could say, God, I see your light in the midst of the darkness. And come flood me, God, because I am certain that you who began the good work in me will complete it, will finish it until the day Christ returns. So the big idea for today's message is that God is always working. Again, a simple big idea. But the way He does that 
is by moving powerfully even in your suffering. Even in your suffering. Paul, sitting in prison, writes this letter of encouragement to this church to say, hey, I am suffering right now, but yet I rejoice because I see God's light in the midst of the darkness. So if you here today, if you're going through a season of struggle, if you are suffering this morning, maybe you're listening online, maybe you're going through some hardship, I want to remind you and I want to encourage you to say, God is still moving. He is moving in your struggle. And not one moment of your struggle is wasted. It's for nothing. But God wants to show you that even in the darkness, the light overcomes. That He's working. He wants you to be certain of this. Sold out, convinced, confident that God is always working. So I want to share with you just very quickly three simple truths of how to see suffering. Of how do we see, God, you're working on me and you're working on the person I'm becoming even through my suffering, even through my struggle, even through my pain, God, you're still working. And here's point number one. Where you see a dead end is often where God creates an open door. Where you see there's no way this is where it ends. There's nothing beyond this part here. There's no chapter 2. There's nothing good going to come out of this. Where you see a dead end is often where God blasts the situation open and He creates an open door for you. Listen to the words of Paul here. In verse 12 he says, And I want you to know, my dear brothers and sisters, that everything that has happened to me here has helped to spread the good news. He says, everything that I've endured, man, the shipwrecks, right? The floggings, the beatdowns, the stonings, the criticisms, the being chased out of towns, the whips across my back, being tied to a Roman guard for 24 hours a day, thrown in this pit, everything here, man, this is great. Why? Because it feels good to me? No, but because the gospel is going forward. Where human eyes would see no open door. Paul says, man, what an opportunity here. He got the opportunity. You see, Paul was tied to another human being 24 hours a day. Their shifts were six hours long. So in Paul's mind, he wasn't saying, man, this is horrible. i got to go to the bathroom chain to somebody. I can't even move. If I want to you know, get up and, and adjust my sandals, i got to ask for permission. Paul wasn't thinking like that. What Paul saw was, I get to evangelize the four guards a day. God is good. You see, he saw the open door where we don't see it. Where we see, where we see dead ends, we exit God. And, and what Paul is saying here is, man, this gospel gets to be preached. What is this gospel that Paul was preaching? It's the simple gospel of Jesus Christ. It, it, you could visualize it here in these three circles. And, and if you've ever wondered, man, how do I share the simple gospel of Jesus Christ to my friends, to my coworkers, to my family? It's right here. Here's the answer. I want you to look at it. It's these three circles. And it's, and it's very simple. And it begins with God's perfect design. You see, God created everything. He created everything whole, everything right. Everything was perfect. But sin came in. Sin came in. 
And because of man's sinfulness, we experience the brokenness that we see in the world. We see the racism, we see the hate, we see the drugs, we see the murder, we see the anger, the killing, the abuse that we see in this world. God didn't create things that way. That was man's sinfulness that broke a perfect design of God. But yet we have the opportunity to repent and to believe and the good news of Jesus that God so loved the world that He sent His one and only Son to come and redeem us and forgive us of our sin. So what? So that we could now recover and pursue back to the way God designed us to be. You see the cycle here of these three circles. And this was the message that was being preached. Why? Because Paul was in prison. He's saying everything that has happened to me has allowed this message of these three circles to go forward. And people are saying, wow, I could be made whole. I could be healed. I could be made the way God intended me to be. I could live like that. If I repent and I believe in this gospel, I could, re- I could recover and pursue back everything of what God has given me. My identity, my worth, my purpose, my mission, my value in life. I can recover. And Paul is saying, what an open door here. Verse 13, he continues and he says, for everyone here, listen, including the whole palace guard, I want you to think what it would be like to have Paul witness to you. I mean, we've we've witnessed the classics, right? Billy Graham... We have the writings of Spurgeon. And we, we marvel at those preachers, at those sermons. But imagine being chained to Paul for six hours. My God. He says everyone here, the whole palace guard, knows that I'm in chains because of Christ. And because of my imprisonment, because of my suffering, Most of the believers here have gained confidence and boldly speaks God's message without fear. You see, the struggle, suffering, is where we see the Gospel do its best work. It's in the middle of suffering. It's in the middle of struggle, of a battle, of a trial, where we see the Gospel produce its best work. And what Paul was saying here was, was, look, I'm on trial and I'm awaiting my trial. And because I'm in, I'm in prison in Rome, the, 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 like the, the center of the universe back in those days, this was the city to be at. He's imprisoned in Rome. And he's saying, look, everyone's talking about my case. The Roman unbelievers, these very secular people, they're all talking about what is this thing called Christianity? I mean, we have captive one of their leaders. What what is it that he believes? What is it that they're talking about? The lawyers and the legal people needed to study and research the ways of Christ because they were handling this case. And because there was so much talk, so much discussion happening in Rome because Paul's presence there, Paul is saying, man, this is great! Uh, And later when he speaks about what he would prefer to do, confirms it. He's saying everyone here is talking about it. And now the the, the believers who are not in jail, now the, the people who are in their homes, who are running their businesses, they're getting confidence. Why? Because in Rome they're talking about Jesus. The most secular 
of places. Jesus' name is being mentioned. Man, what an open, open door. You see, you might see your prison season as an open door, right? And that'll be your perspective if you're seeking success. But if you're looking to advance the gospel, what an open door. Your marriage might seem like it's a dead end and heading to divorce, but what if God was wanting to shine some light in the middle of a broken marriage to say He wants to use you to soften your spouse's heart? Maybe you lost your job or your, your spouse lost their job and it means maybe a dead end for your lifestyle and the vacations and the spending that you once had. But what if God was wanting to use this season to really build your faith and trust that He will provide all of your needs? more than any job, more than any employment. Where you see a dead end in your situation might just be the open door to your calling. And we do this by rejoicing in what God will do rather than thinking, God, what haven't you done? Paul could have been thinking, you haven't busted me out of here yet, Lord. What's wrong? But Paul kept thinking, "What, God, what will you do? Because God, you're always working. You see, Paul wasn't pursuing promotion. What Paul was pursuing was devotion. He wasn't trying to elevate his glory. He was trying to put God's glory out there. And if your perspective is that tough seasons are just dead ends to your plans and you despise those interruptions, you see them as inconveniences, you will get caught in the trap of overthinking your temporary situations that you lose sight of your eternal perspective. What happens when the temporary becomes so overwhelming that you lose sight of your eternal perspective is you get frustrated You get annoyed. We get submerged in self-pity. And and Paul could have allowed himself to do this. Paul could have been saying, God, after everything I've done for Your Word and for Your Kingdom, this is what I get. A prison. He could have been discouraged. And if Paul would have allowed that to happen to him, he would have become discouraged and his perspective would have decayed. And when our perspective decays and we don't see the open door, but we see the dead end, what do we do? We isolate. We forget that there are other people who are struggling often at the very same place you are. We don't see that. We isolate. We become cynical. We don't build up the church. We begin to critique the church. We become victims. We say, if people only loved me more, if people only cared more, if people only reached out to me more, you know, I would change, but they don't, so nothing will change. We take this victim mentality where we become cynical, we become critical, we isolate and withdraw ourselves from people, and our conscience becomes seared. The Bible talks about your conscience becoming so seared that you don't even know what the truth is anymore. You've lied to yourself so much and for so long that the lies that you've spoken into your life now become the truth so you have no form of direction you have no orientation to what is true and what is false and when that happens man your obedience goes to your opinions and not to the word of god your opinions become king of your life and jesus comes off of his throne But what if there was a different perspective? What if the season of suffering that you're in was the door that was going to shine the greatest light in the darkest places that you're living through? 
Paul in verse 15, he says, you know, hey, I'm rejoicing over the open door, but some things are still going on. This is what he says. He says, it's true that some are preaching out of jealousy or rivalry, but others preach about Christ with pure motives. What he's saying is, hey, is there crazy people out here? Yeah, there's some crazy people out here. Some people will be pe- preaching Jesus for the totally wrong motives. And other people are pure. In verse 16, he says, They preach because they love me, for they know I have been appointed to defend the good news. Those others who do not have pure motives as they preach about Christ, they preach with selfish ambition, not sincerely, intending to make my chains more painful for me. So Paul had a door he could have walked through to become a hater. There was people preaching in Rome, not to help Paul, but to make his chains heavier. Selfishly, out of their own ambition. And Paul could have walked through the door of hate if he would have allowed his temporary feels to dominate his thinking, to dominate his emotions. He would have said, do you believe these dudes are preaching Jesus to hurt me? But his mind was so singular. His mind was so set on Christ. And that, you know what, this life isn't about me anyway. And these chains that I'm in, they're advancing the gospel. Look what his response is in verse 18. It's, it's, it's insane. He says, but that doesn't matter. They're preaching Jesus to hurt me. It doesn't matter. Why doesn't it matter, Paul? He says, whether their motives are false or genuine, the message about Christ is being preached either way. So I rejoice. Man. I know if that was me, I would not be rejoicing. Instead of witnessing to the Roman guard, I'd be like, look, what could I do to convince you to get me out of these chains for an hour? I promise I'll be back. I just want to handle these people who are working against me. Singular-minded. Paul saying this life, these chains, this, all of this is not about me. It's about Christ. And if Christ is being preached, what does it matter? You see, we, we, we become so consumed sometimes of, of the ways Christ is preached, the style, the manner. We worry a lot about how a certain church is doing ministry. Are they more charismatic? Are they very liturgical and very formal? I mean, do they wear suits in that church? Do they wear, wear jeans? Does their pastor have a beard? Is he clean cut? I mean, what kind of church is it? What kind of people do they draw? How do they preach? What's the music they listen to? Hey, is Jesus being preached there? Is the gospel going forward? The three-circle gospel, that God created everything perfectly, but sin came in and broke the world. But we could repent and believe in the good news of the gospel and then recover and pursue God's perfect design for us. Is that gospel being preached in that church? If it is, that's all we should care about. Because one thing I've learned is that there are a lot of Monday morning quarterbacks in church who will criticize and critique other people for the way they do ministry when they don't do any themselves. D.L. Moody said this to a critic once. He says that it's clear you don't like my way of doing evangelism. You raised some good points. (laughs) He says, frankly, I sometimes don't like the way I'm doing it either. But I would rather take my way of doing it better than your way of not doing it. 
D.L. Moody, dropping a mic. So remember, the closed dead ends that you see is often where God opens the door in our suffering and our struggle. The second thing is this. The gains in your spiritual growth will always be bigger than your situational worries. This is what I call the the windshield versus the rear view. And oftentimes in life, people live life looking through the windshield as we need to. And in the windshield, we see the storms. It's crazy. You don't see the way forward. It's foggy. It's cloudy. The wipers don't work too well. You have no clarity. You have no vision. You can't see the way forward. And we become so overwhelmed at what we're seeing in the moment But once we're past that and you look at the rear view, you see the sun, it's clear, and we say, man, God, you taught me something through that season. You were working. In the moment, you don't see it. All you see is the thunder, the lightning, the wind, the waves. But once you pass that and you look back, you say, God, your hand was on it the whole time. Paul continues here in verse 18, and he says, I will continue to rejoice For I know that as you pray for me and the Spirit of Jesus helps me, this will lead to my deliverance. Never underestimate the power of prayer of people in your circle. Paul acknowledging here saying, I know you're praying for me. And whatever happens, I'm going to be delivered. Verse 20 says, For I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed Paul was so worried that he wouldn't bring shame on the Lord. That he wouldn't say something dumb. That he wouldn't act out of pocket. To bring shame on the Lord, he said, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I've been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. Paul knew that his trial would most likely end up in his death. He knew he had been given like one free pass before this, but he knew now that Caesar's court was pretty much looking to execute him. He knew that reality. He could have been worried about his impending death, but he said, no, I'd rather focus on, God, how you're growing me and how you're working on me. So whether I live or whether I die, I don't want to bring shame to the gospel. I want to continue to grow. I want to continue to be bold for Jesus. Paul saying, look God, as long as you're still working, then good is still going to come to me. If you haven't stopped, then I won't stop either. Verse 21, one of the most important verses written by Paul in all of the gospel. He says, for to me, living means living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. He said, if it was up to me, do I want to go be with Jesus or stay here in a Roman prison? Obviously, being with Jesus is better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. Man, Paul's saying again, it ain't about me. This looks like a big closed door for me, but it ain't about me. It's about what God is doing through me, what I'm becoming, how he's working in my struggle. He says, but if I live, I could do more fruitful work for Christ So I really don't know which is better. Paul conflicted. I'm torn between two desires. I long to go be with Christ, which would be far better for me. 
than this crummy prison cell. But for your sakes, the love of Christ in Paul. Saying, I will endure this suffering for your sakes. It is better that I continue to live. Paul knowing, God, you're still working in me. My situation looks dark. But man, the light is shining in the midst of the darkness. Verse 25, he says, Knowing this, I am convinced that I will remain alive so I can continue to help all of you grow and experience the joy of your faith. Paul saying, these momentary worries are much less. Don't matter as much to me as all the spiritual growth that you'll be able to experience. Paul already saying, look, I know God is going to work in this. And look at verse 26. He says, when I come to you again, and I believe, never, I believe Paul never had the chance to because he did lose his life for the gospel. But Paul, speaking in, declaring, proclaiming, when I come to you again, you will have even more reason to take pride in Christ Jesus because of what He is doing through me. In my suffering, in my struggle, God is still working. And because I endure these chains, you could grow, you could grow, you could experience the joy of faith. You see, Paul, he wasn't an idol of, of self-preservation. It, it, people, this is so big, people in the church, we worry so much about our lives and protecting our lives and we're so in, in love with our lives, with our experiences, with our achievements, with the connections and relationships we've been, been able to build throughout life. And, and we make those things our God and we worship our life that we consume ourselves with it and we'll do anything to save it and preserve it even if it means not putting ourselves out there for Jesus. And Paul is saying, it's better for me to die than to live. Paul's point was saying, I've experienced this freedom of, of being released from the rat race, which is life, of trying to find experiences that are going to give me momentary you know, feelings of pleasure and of happiness when my true happiness, my true purpose, my true place, my true position is in the presence of my Creator. Nothing on this life matters. This is what would lead Paul to, to later on in verse 3 of Philippians say, for this sake, I've discarded everything else. He's saying, for, for this sake, Life and everything it could give to me. I mean, I mean the vacations, the Facebook posts, the likes, the accolades, the praise of people, the friendships, the cars, the houses. I mean, you name it all. The large bank accounts, the retirement life. I mean, hey, all of that, it's garbage. These are powerful words of Paul. He says that's garbage. Other translations get a little bit more graphic. And it says, I count it all as dung. You know what dung is? That's a country term. That's poop. <laughs> Paul is saying, the flashy lifestyle, celebrity status, millions of followers on Instagram, that's dung. I count it all as garbage. So that I could gain what? Christ. You see, your life 
is like a lens. And there's telescopes and there's microscopes. And what telescopes do is telescopes take things that are way out there and they bring them up close to you, right? I mean, there's some very powerful telescopes on this earth that could see literally light years away. And what telescopes do is they use their lens to bring things that are very far away, that seem distant, that seem far away, and they make them real in your life. And God uses the life of a believer as a lens. Because when unbelievers and with critics and cynics of God see you struggling, when they see you suffering, and when you have this mind like Paul does here, what you do is you bring a distant God, a God that they can't relate to, a God that they don't know, a God who seems light years away from them. What you do is you become a lens for them and because of the way you live and the way you view suffering and because of your perspective and because of your faith, what you do is you bring this distant, impersonable God up close and personal to them. A microscope takes something that's so small it can't even be seen or identified and it makes it real before your eyes. And what God does in you is He uses you as a lens to take a God that most people don't even think of, they don't even consider. Frankly, a lot of them don't even know that He's there. But, but, but like a microscope takes something tiny and makes it real before your eyes. What you do when you have faith and when you have a mind like Paul to say, God, you, you, your growth in me and the spiritual maturity that I'm gaining here is worth more than my momentary worries. When you have that mindset and when people see you and trust me, they'll recognize that. They'll ask you, how are you so calm? How are you put together? You say it's Jesus. What you're doing there is you're taking something that they can't see and you're breaking it real for them. You're being a microscope for the gospel. And what Paul is saying here is he's saying, hey, I could go and be with Jesus, but God still wants to use me to take something that seems so far away and make it up close for people. To make something that seems so insignificant and so small and bring it to life. So your spiritual growth will always be more than your situational worries. And listen, I'm not here minimizing what you're going through. I'm not here trying to gaslight the real pain that you're suffering. Because I know it's real. And I empathize with you. But I am here to let you know that in the middle of that darkness, there's a light that is shining. And those who walk with God will experience that light. And He will show you that what He's doing through you is worth more than the feelings, than the emotions that are overwhelming you in the moment. So let me close with this. Not only does our perspective need to change in that where we see a dead end is often God's open door, we also have to know that the spiritual gains that we make, the maturity, the gains in maturity that we make through our struggling are always more valuable than our situational worries. And the last one is this, is that the stronger you know your calling, the smaller you'll view your circumstances. The stronger you know your calling, 
the smaller you'll view your circumstances. You know, we are really good people at making a lot out of nothing, aren't we? You guys remember Y2K? There was magazines, there was books that were written, How to Survive Y2K. Best Buy put labels, I mean, you see pictures here. They put labels on all their computers. Make sure you shut everything down. I was working at the airport, at Midway Airport, on December 31st, 1999. And at 6 p.m. Chicago time was the hour which the international computer system that monitored all the flights throughout the world. It's GMT time, Greenwich Mean Time. At 6 o'clock Chicago time was, was midnight hour on the Global Aviation Network. And all of us, at 5.58, we walked out of our offices, we walked onto the airport grounds, and we all looked up, expecting planes to start falling from the skies. Nothing happened. When I bought my house in 2002, going through the basement, I discovered a Y2K survival kit, complete with bottled water, canned goods, Dry foods, never used. We become really good at making a lot out of nothing. But when you have a strong sense of calling, when you know, you're certain that God's going to work this thing for you, you don't have energy, you don't have desire to stress, to be consumed to be overwhelmed with the circumstances. Why? Because I'm certain that God, who began the good work in me, will continue it. So Paul here in verse 27, he, he, he says, he says, above all, above the Y2K moments in your life where you think the world is ending, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourself in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. He's saying, live worthy. Conduct yourself in this manner. You shouldn't have the energy to complain, to argue, to get emotional, to feel insecure, to be cocky or belittle others. Because your calling is so strong, you know why you're here, and you know why God put you here. So you don't have time to get distracted by all these other circumstances. Why? Because I'm a mission for God. Do you remember Nehemiah when he was building the wall? How many times did he try to come get him to come off the wall so that he could entertain Right, their pettiness and their distractions. Why? Because they wanted to throw him off mission. But Nehemiah never fell to that trick. Why? Because he was strong in his calling. He knew, I've been sent here to rebuild this wall, and I will complete it. And if God started it, God will finish it. And you've got to be a person who says, regardless of the circumstances, regardless of my struggle, regardless of my suffering, regardless of my trial, God has called me to this, and he will complete it until the day he returns. saying live this way he says then whether i come to see you again or only hear about you i will know that you are standing together with one spirit one purpose fighting together for the faith which is the good news he says don't be intimidated in the way in any way by your enemies this will be a sign to them that, you're going, that they are going to be destroyed, but that you are going to be saved, even by God Himself. I love that Paul says, look, 
when we take on the Spirit together. Because God is not only just working in you, He's working in us. It's a we thing. Paul uses a term here actually that relates to athletics when he says we're one team standing together, one spirit, one purpose, fighting together. He's saying protect each other's unity. You see, it's the enemy's playbook to divide and conquer. It's always been that way from the beginning. How does the enemy divide families? He pits the husband against the wife. He pits children against their parents. He pits in-laws against in-laws. How does... How did, how did the enemy uh, uh, destroy Adam and Eve? He put one away from the other. He divided them. He conquered them. It's been always in the enemy's playbook to divide and to conquer. Always in everything. And Paul is saying, hey, one spirit, one fight, standing together. Protect your unity. Cooperate. We succeed together or we fall together. And he says, this is your hope. That your suffering is not leading to your destruction, but it's leading to your salvation. And in verse 29, he finishes and he says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, and man, do we love that privilege, but also the privilege of suffering for him. Man, we don't like that privilege. We are in this struggle together. If there's been ever a truer word written, We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past and you know that I am still in the midst of it. Paul saying, live your life in a way that you're on display for others. That through your struggle, that through your suffering, that through your trial, God could be made real in other people's lives. That it's not a dead end, friend. It's not the end of the road. But it's the open door you've been waiting for. How many of you here, it was in the midst of a trial, it was in the midst of a situation where you saw the light come in? That's how God works. And now as you persevere through that, as you journey through that, right? Because again, never promises it's going to be easy, never promises to eliminate it, never promises that it won't come, but when the struggle and when the trial and when the suffering do come, God promises that He'll be there and He'll make a light and He'll open a door for you to escape. Now you shine that for others to see. It's a different way of handling our suffering. No more escaping it. No more suppressing it. No more overcompensating with it. But pause. Acknowledge that God is present in your struggle. Allow Him to work in you. Seek Him. And let your life be on display for Him. Amen? Could we stand together? I want to invite Marcos to join me here. We want to wrap up our time together just by worshiping. I love going verse by verse through these, uh, through the book. I mean, it causes you to dig out the gold from these scriptures. And if you're here, if you're suffering, if you're in a struggle, I want you to know that it's not being wasted. That God is working in it. That God is working through it. And God could redeem it And God could use it. And as Paul wrote, 
that everything that I hear has happened to me is causing the gospel to go forward. I want you to know that everything that's happening in your life is an avenue for the gospel to go forward. You being here today is an avenue for the gospel to go forward. You watching online today is an avenue for the gospel to go forward. If you're in physical pain, the way you believe and you trust God for your healing and you persevere and you put your faith in him makes the gospel go forward. If you're struggling in some type of relational issue with your spouse or your children or your boss or your family, the way you love, the way you forgive, the way you, you, you reconcile and the way you trust God to work things out in your relationships is an avenue to push the gospel forward. If you're struggling financially today and you're saying, I don't know how I'm going to pay rent this month, but I'm going to tithe, I'm going to give because I trust God, that is an avenue to make the gospel go forward. The closed doors, the dead ends is what God uses to make the gospel go forward. 